This is The Michael Wall Show. Michael is a speaker, author, and founder and CEO of several companies. His passion is to help families live on purpose and live with purpose. And now, here's Michael Wall. Welcome in, everyone, to The Michael Wall Show. It is going to be a stellar, that's right, stellar, not seller. You get downstairs. We're talking about stellar show today. I got a great guy on, Randy Skinner. He is... Got an amazing story you're not going to want to miss, talking about taking towns, cities, communities from a very, very rough place, violence, all these types of things, and and just had a lot of insight on how to revitalize them and make them some terrific places to live, work, and play. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute and why you need to be involved in this process, not only locally, but in other parts of the country as well. So you're not going to want to miss out on this. But before I jump in, I just want to take a moment and I want to thank, as I always do, our listeners, not only from uh, the U.S., but all over the world, and say thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to the show, listen to what we're about, listen to some things that are going to help you improve your lives and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have Randy on. Also, we got to give a shout out. As you know, nothing in this world is free. So we got to give a little shout out to Wall Companies, which encompasses Wall Private Wealth, Wall Wealth Management, and Wall Lehman. All companies designed to help you protect, grow, and reduce taxes on your wealth with additional business coaching, executive planning, etc. Those can all be learned more and found out by going to Lean on the Wall. Com. All right, so the whole premise of this show is that philosophy that I've mentioned to you before, and that is the idea that evil will prevail and persist if good people just do nothing. We've heard it said before, evil prevails if good people do nothing. Well, there's a good person in the seat here by the name of Randy Skinner, and he's had quite of an experience of kind of going in and helping turn over, facilitating the process of revitalizing areas from ghetto and disaster and abuse and all kinds of different things to become a prosperous, great place to live. And I want to kind of start out with a little bit of his background and history to so you can understand a little bit of why he believes what he believes. And Randy, let me just first say, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. I know you got a lot going on to join us on the show. Great to be here. And I'm excited to share with you how marketplace leaders Business people can actually make impact, mm. change their communities, whether they're rural, suburbia, urban. This is the most exciting time to be alive as a marketplace businessman mm. to really bring a change. We're really in the second American Revolution, mm. and it's going to be led by businessmen just like the first American Revolution was. And so we're at that place where we're going to make a decision in the future of our nation whether we're going to be a uh, socialist country or a democratically uh, capitalistic free enterprise nation. And so I'm excited to share more about that. That's terrific. Well, it's certainly the talk that is resonating today. We're hearing it all over the place, Randy, you know, socialists. And it's become much less Republican Democrat and more so that what is coming up, a rising to the top is the theme that you just mentioned there. Tell us a little bit and tell the listeners a little about, Randy, how you kind of entered into this space? What's kind of led you into that? You've had political connection and insight, not only on the liberal side, but also on the conservative side. And kind of what leads you, what has kind of some of the things underpinning that's created Randy to get to this place today? Yes, I have a unique background. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. I was 11 years old when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Mm. I saw tanks come out on the streets. Hundred cities throughout America were in flames. We were looking to a man, especially in the ethnic community, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. King, to help deliver them. People looked to Bobby Kennedy Jr. to deliver them. Both men assassinated. 
we were really at a crisis point in our nation, much like we are today. And of course, from my perspective as a Judeo-Christian person, I believe our answer is spiritual, but it's with uh, using marketplace business people to lead the way out of this demise and to find solutions and answers. So I moved to Texas as a young man, was brought up outside of Houston, Texas, Hmm. lived in about 10 different states as a troubleshooter to come into communities to deal with economic, educational, suicide, crime, drug cartels moved into consulting with federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies. Through that, I began to really see patterns. And I saw organized crime groups, gangs, drug cartels, all had a strategy to take your city. And I can go to any city, whether it's small, medium, or large in the United States, and I can pinpoint to you your criminal elements in that city and the plans that they have to take your city. They have a business. They're businessmen with a business strategy. And so most communities don't realize to the depth, down to the house level, that these enterprises have to take your communities. And that's why the response is so diverse throughout the nation. For example, you can go into Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis. These cities' response to the criminal element is based on more of a bigger governmental solution as opposed to other cities where we're really seeing a prosperity. You're seeing free market systems work. You're seeing poverty driven down, crime driven down, all through free market principles led by businessmen. And I can take you to city after city where businessmen are leading in the real estate ventures, the business ventures, where businessmen are being elected to public office And they are the ones that are actually transforming inner cities through business policies and principles and templates. I think that, you know, what you said there is something that I just want to press pause and rewind to, because I don't think if you're listening to this out there and you're a business owner, I don't think we often think about life this way, right? We understand if you're in business. Now, sometimes people are in business and they're just kind of bootstrapping it, right? And then they finally get to the level of like, I got to have a plan. I got to have a system. I got to have a process Mm -hmm. if I want to be sustainable and continue to grow. And we talk about, obviously, a lot of that with families on the other side when we help them with their wealth, having a real plan for the future. But one of the things that you said that stuck out, Randy, is organized crime groups have a plan. And I don't think a lot of times, even myself included in the times past, you know, you really think through that. You think, okay, you know, crime is an issue here, crime's an issue there, and the police are going to go out and they're going to take care of it. You got these, you know, nonprofits that are going to kind of go and do some different things, whatever. But Mm -hmm. it's almost a reactive process. A crime occurs, you react to it. Instead of a proactive process, which I think I was a little bit attracted to what your focus is. We're going to be proactive here in the process of really understanding these people have a plan. And just like we have other plans in business and things, we need to have a plan to say who's going to win the territory. Mm -hmm. You know, king of the hill almost type thing, right? Right, right. Who's going to get it? And it's those that are paying attention to the process. I think that's important. You tell me to many business owners, I don't think they really think about it that way. What's been your experience? Well, what happens is most business owners give their answers to the societal problems, whether it be poverty, hunger, crime, is to donate to a local nonprofit. Yeah. And they don't realize that most nonprofits today are actually run by people with a political philosophy that bigger government is the answer. And something that happened in the last 10 years is we saw a transition to where nonprofits rather than getting most of their proceeds from donors and business people 
and just the kind of the small mom and pop donations transitioned into where government purposely and strategically and methodically said, let's flood the nonprofit market with federal dollars mm. and make those nonprofits dependent upon yeah. federal dollars. Yeah. And then what happened is the nonprofits, instead of getting people mm-hmm. off those systems, created a whole new dependency system because their nonprofit now depended upon keeping people on welfare rolls, hunger rolls, and they were being rewarded. I remember yeah. once uh, <laughs> I was asked by the uh, mayor of Dallas to oversee hunger and to eradicate hunger in the city of Dallas. And we came out with these very creative marketplace systems and thought processes. For example, instead of doing a food pantry, we create cooperatives. And so if you're a family in need, you'll join the co-op. And through the co-op, for just 5 or $10 a week, you get $60, $70 worth of groceries to supplement your hunger. So that was just one way. And, and it created a small stream of wealth mm-hmm. for inner city women in their 70s to 90s to run these co-ops. Mm. And I could go on and on down that road. But what happened was when the previous administration, we went to them and we began showing them these free market systems. They came back and they said, oh, no, no, we want you to expend all the federal dollars. Don't save any of it. Mm. Spend it mm-hmm. because we're going to come back and we're going to give you more government assistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They went into inner city churches where you might have a food bank or you might have a, a food pantry and they got rid of all the food assistance in inner city minority churches, and they said, put every single church member on government assistance. Hmm. That's why during the previous administration, you had such a swelling of welfare roles was because there was a methodical strategic purpose to get people on government assistance. So in the city of Dallas, what we did is we came in, and let's take, for example, when we're talking about organized crime or we're talking about business templates by organized crime groups, We went into the 11th poorest zip code in the nation, the most violent in Dallas that goes back 100 years to the days of Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde operated out of this zip code that we targeted. Hmm. And there was organized crime syndicates, Mexican drug cartel syndicates, gangs. And so when we began overlaying crime trend patterns, for example, in most cities that your listeners live in or towns, police just respond. They respond to a drug house. They respond to a crime And when they get to the drug house, they may arrest someone and take them away, but they don't realize that once they take that person away, the owner of the business, the drug business, Mm -hmm. he replaces that person with another employee of his. Hmm. And what we found was that many of these drug houses are actually timeshare crack houses. Hmm. So throughout the U.S., you go into any city, that's a timeshare. And so this businessman, that's a drug dealer. He rents out those timeshare crack houses by the hour, Hmm. and he uh, just rotates them in and out. And uh, so what we did is we began targeting and run crime trend studies over the how many calls were being made at pieces of properties. And then when we started looking at the properties and who owned them, we realized that they went back to slumlord, crime bosses. And so we created criminal justice teams that would deal more with the root causes and the root problems of taking out the business cartel than just responding to it. Which I think is important because, you know, again, the point you made previous is a lot of times business owners feel like they're, you know, civic duty or philanthropic duty or whatever by giving back is just donating these organizations and it's a touch and feel, makes me feel good, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's window dressing. 
Right. These organizations aren't actually going in. It's like putting a Band-Aid over a broken collarbone. It's not going to fix the problem. Right. It's about understanding what the problem really is. So tell me this. When you take a look at the shift today and the conversation today with business owners, business leaders in general, I know it's something that I've seen, Randy, is people are talking much more about this whole capitalist versus socialist conversation today than we've ever seen in the past. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of a negative and a positive at the same time almost. I kind of picture it in my mind as as a positive thing. In other words, we've gone so far down the rabbit hole because people are just kind of content with their lives. They're, they can kind of buy what they want, live where they want, do what they want, travel as they want. There's enough wealth around, if that makes sense, for people to do what they want to do. So the problem continues to be deferred. But also, as it compounds, and now all of a sudden things have kind of come out of the closet, people are in a place where like, wow, this is really an issue. You know, the the whole process of governmental role and laws and how things are being created is really moving towards this socialist mindset, which is causing this other side to rise up. In your opinion, do you believe that this is a positive in where we are to say capitalist thinking people, business owners, marketplace leaders are really now saying that they're going to dig their heels in and they're saying, no, we're not going to stand for this. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing more of a trend of those types of people really say we're going to we're going to stand up and do what we know is right to really get to the root of the problem, not just bandaid it? Or they just kind of like, well, this is bigger than we actually thought. I don't know. What are you seeing there? I think we're at the edge of decision-making. And one thing that helps people understand is how the previous administration that I worked with for six years, I was invited because of our work in taking the 11th Porsche zip code, the most violent zip code in one of the largest cities in the United States with a $3 billion economy, and we transformed it. Today, it's the safest zip code. We brought in $4 billion worth of infrastructure And that was without gentrification. Hmm. We know how to come into an inner city that's a blighted area and actually bring business templates into those areas, lift the people up. We came in, we took out the crime, we lifted up the education, we created an affordable housing model, we brought wellness and health, and we brought a spiritual template to where we lifted the churches up in those areas. And that brought real transformation that you could track, follow, prove, and it brought in an economic revitalization That's the hottest real estate in one of the largest cities in the U.S., but it was done with a business model. Mm. I brought over 400 business leaders, millionaires and two billionaires, into that area where they would have never invested and shared with them how once we take out crime, the real estate lots that you could buy for $5,000 now go for $50,000. And the hottest real estate in the U.S. today is inner city, infield properties, that are closest to downtowns. Mm -hmm. People are leaving suburbia. They want to come back to inner cities Mm -hmm. to get closer to their work. That's the vibe of the younger generation. Even in the housing that we build today is a different type of housing with less green space. You know, it's maybe a two or three story townhouse type, Mm -hmm. greater density, but yet with more community focus and green space community focus. So it's a different template but it's where people are moving towards. So how do we do that? We got to take crime out. Yeah. And that's been our forte is we know how to do that. We know how to lift up the educational system, bring health and wellness. And then one of our key components is we established what's called houses of hope. And these are people that are mostly millennials. They can be seniors that really have a heart for caring for the community. So these people actually relocate to relate. They relocate Mm. from kind of maybe a lifestyle of living out in a suburbia or a more cushioned life and say, hey, we want impact. We want to make a difference. So mm-hmm. we're going to relocate to relate to people. 
So I did that with my young family. I raised my two daughters that are now teenagers in the inner city among all the violence and today amongst a safe zip code and raised my family in that area. The second thing is learning to love. Mm -hmm. So these are people that are a bridge Mm -hmm. for others, both inside and outside the neighborhood to join and serve a cause together. So not only relocating to relate, but Mm -hmm. learning to love, serving to support, and then uniting to understand. And that's where I have 70 families that I'm over. And these are all first-time homeowners. They're the first time in their generation to own a home. Hmm. So you're actually shifting people from poverty, low income to home ownership. Yep. And you watch them start out with nothing in their home. We'll have churches adopt them, help buy them furniture. They're working three to four jobs. Today, after 15 years of being involved with them, they have better jobs. Hmm. You see them buy better cars. You see their home improving. And for many of these people, their first home is the home that they're going to stay in. It's not necessarily a starter home, but Mm -hmm. it can be. But it creates wealth for them to put their kids through school, Mm -hmm. through college, and it's the American dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, the Houses of Hope philosophy and relocate to relate is important because, you know, it's. I'll tell you, it was something that I was impressed by, even as you mentioned here, as you moved kind of the South Florida area and you've moved in directly to some of those areas that people are like, ah, it's taboo. I don't want to go in there, you know, kind of thing. And and it's kind of like, okay, don't tell me what's going on on the other side of the tracks. Let me just write a check and give it to somebody and hope they do the work. And then I've kind of done my good deed for the day. And I think we're seeing a generational shift a little bit where people are in a place where, you know, we've had so much wealth for so many years that people are in a place where they really are not enamored the way they used to be with money, the chasing of, the love of, you know, where they really want to be involved with things that are impactful. We had the boomer generation, not a bad thing. You know, they grew up coming off the heels of their parents living through the Great Depression, you know, banks closing, keeping their money, putting it under the mattress, the whole deal. And now the boomers were in a place where they, you know, were some of the largest and at the time generation, not anymore, but the wealthiest generation, certainly, you know, in the country made more money than any generation did, et cetera. So they ran and chased after that, quote unquote, American dream of more and more and more in excess. And now we've kind of gone through that process. And I think the next generation coming behind them, and especially the millennials, are in a place where certainly they want to have nice things, but they want to have purpose-driven life more than I think we've seen any other generation, which is amazing. Absolutely. I had uh, one of the wealthiest real estate agents at 70, had just retired in Dallas, Texas. He's pacing back and forth, literally in front of my desk. And he's saying, I've got to make an eternal investment. I mean, this was a great Christian businessman that mm-hmm. had really, I mean, he was a giver, mm-hmm. but he had just retired and he realized he had an awakening, mm-hmm. but he had spent his life really kind of more focused on himself. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I've got to get my seat in the ground. I've got to leave a legacy of transformation for our city. Mm-hmm. Um, our city was in a place in Dallas, three billion economy, about 1.3 million, about 3 million in the larger area where we were at a crisis point a number about 20 years ago. And uh, we were losing our city. We were the highest crime-rated city in the nation, but we were one of the most church city in the nation. Wow. And one night, a local businessman that ran an $8 billion company called Turner Construction, he was touched by God that he had to stand up and make a difference and had never run for political office. So Tom Leppard, who ran Turner Construction, took it from $4 billion to $8 billion, $1 billion of that going to minority contractors, said, I'm going to run for public office. Mm. And so he became our mayor of Dallas at a critical time when my nonprofit was involved in this tackling the 11th poor zip code, the most violent zip code, and all these things came together. 
and Tom led a revitalization effort that made our city one of the safest in the nation. So I served under Tom. After that, we had a Democratic mayor get elected under both mayors. I served eight years to clean up corruption and then have been appointed by our, our governor, Greg Abbott, to oversee hurricane relief and federal funds coming into the state. And I'm saying all of that to say mm. is that in our communities and our city governments, rural governments, county governments, state governments, we need principled, yeah. ethical businessmen yeah. that will bring business principles into the market that have, they have succeeded into the marketplace into the governmental arena yeah. and shift into the marketplace capitalistic free enterprise away from a socialist system. Mm -hmm. It's destroying our nation. Mm -hmm. We can see that in the cities across the United States. They're doubling down on pushing these socialist systems. These cities, people are leaving them, running away from them and their states and coming into other states where the systems work. Yeah. So that's the story here. The moral of the story here is you're listening to this. I remember when I sold books door to door in the summertime, I did it for three summers and there'd be a time where I remember, you know, you got to brush Ned negative off your shoulder every morning when you wake up, that kind of thing. But there was a thought that was shared and I've shared this before in previous shows. And that is the idea of stop stewing and start doing right. Get out there and go do something to plant a shade tree under which you'll never sit. Because at the end of the day, you and I, you listening to this out there, us sitting here in the studio, we are the ones that are going to be responsible for what the fields of harvest look like, you know, in the next generation. You know, I talk a lot about the idea of our minds, our brains, and how the brain is very much like a farmer's field that couldn't care less what you plant in it, but it will reap a harvest of whatever's planted. So at the end of the day, we have to be intentional with what we're planting in our minds, what we're planting with not only the seed that's in our wallet, which is money, the wealth that you may have, the daily activities that you do. So finding purpose and being a part of purpose is important. I remember what there was a gentleman, Tom Brubaker, which was really a mentor to me, Randy, when I was younger and, you know, was just a tremendous guy. Just, you know, one of those men that, you know, he thought through like the kind of guy that I would ask him a question and he wouldn't just be like, well, you know, I think you should do X, Y, Z. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he was always the kind of guy that said, you know what, let me think about that. I want to pray on that. And then I'll get back to you with a response, you know, and I just I kind of appreciated that. Like he took the weight of the question that I asked him about as we were growing in our business, et cetera, even though he wasn't a business owner, I just trusted him. Right. But he took the weight of that question in such value that he didn't just spit out a response. He actually thought through it, prayed through it, and then he come back and give me a response. And I think sometimes as people, we can find ourselves working in a lane where we get so active in the day-to-day -day things that are caught up with really no future value. Why are you doing what you're doing today? Well, it's because I kind of did what I did yesterday. And so... What you're saying is let's change the paradigm, and I, I agree with that. By the way, if you want to get involved or learn more about Randy, tell me and tell our listeners what's the best. I'm going to give them an email also that we can connect them with you, and there's some other opportunities in the future that they can be involved in. I'll share quickly about that. But how can they connect with some other things in general? Is there a way, place they should go to, a website they should look at? Yeah, you can go to transformationpalmbeachcounty.org. That's transformationpalmbeachcounty.org. You can go to randyskinner.com and read more about our work. And I would just leave you with the final thought is that wherever you are, wherever you live, wherever you work, you have an answer to the solution. There's a DNA within you to become a part of the solution. 
and uh, be listening for later broadcasts on mm. how we're going to articulate that and give you specifics. Absolutely. And for more information, again, go to the sites that Randy mentioned there. If you want to reach out to us directly and just be in a situation where you're put on a list of how to follow up, how to be involved, there's going to be some other real tangible, put your money where your mouth is, investment opportunity to be a part of some of that solution as well. We're going to share that later You can always send us an email. It's a great way to reach out to us. Always send us an email by uh, sending an email to info, I-N-F-O, I-N-F-O, at leanonthewall.com. Again, leanonthewall.com, I-N-F-O, at leanonthewall.com. And make sure to put in a subject line, just, you know, revitalization or transformation or Randy, if you want, for that matter, just to keep it real simple. And we'll keep you on uh, in the loop of what's happening as time continues here. But Randy, thank you so much for taking a few moments and just coming in and sharing your thoughts with our listeners, sharing your heart a little bit, and really challenging those of us that are listening to this out there to say, you know what, listen, if it's to be, it's up to me. I got to get involved in the process. I got to be a part. You know, if not you, then who, right? Right. That's a question I always have to ask. We all are part of the solution here, and we want to challenge you to be proactive. So thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Second American Revolution. Let's go get it done. Let's get it done. I like that. And as always, we appreciate you. Share this show. Take a moment. Listen, there's a lot of people that don't know what they want because they don't know what's available. I'm a big believer of that. And there's a lot of people out there that want to be a part of something. I was just talking and having a conversation with a gentleman in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, about a week and a half ago, and he has a business. And he said, you know, I'm just I'm looking for greater purpose now in my life. I'm looking for a purpose to be involved with. And so I want to challenge you as you've listened to this information. You say, man, what am I doing? Ask yourself that question. How am I going to be involved? Ask yourself that question. And also share this with someone that needs to hear this and be proactive. Send us that email, info at leanonthewall.com and say, listen, how can I get involved? And as always, we appreciate you. Remember, the goal and purpose of this show is to challenge you to live on purpose so you can go out there and live with purpose. Until next time, have a great and blessed day. We'll talk to you soon.